we'll be in a minute, we'll be reading from verses 1 to 7, paying a special focus to verse 6 of Jude, this very short letter that Jude writes to the churches of that time. Have you ever heard of a great, uh, somebody going on a great journey? Uh, say a friend of yours comes to you and says, I want to cycle across Australia. Or I want to do a walk across a big place. The first question probably might pop into your mind is, is that even possible? Really? Can you do that? I know when people come to me and say that they're, they're training to run a marathon, that sounds extremely hard to me. And I don't know if I would ever attempt to do a marathon, but fair deuce to anybody who does that. But I can think of something that is even more difficult than that, than attempting to cycle across a country. Imagine if someone came to you and said, I'm going to travel to the sun. Now, what would be the first thing that pops into your head? Is everything okay? You might not think everything's going okay. He's not thinking straight. This is madness. If you travel toward the sun, what will happen? You're not going to survive space. And if you do manage to get to the sun, what will happen? You'll be destroyed. What if I told you that every single day there are people across this island, across the world, who attempt to do something far crazier and far more impossible than that example I just mentioned there. They attempt to approach the holy and trice holy God in their own works. They attempt to come in their own name. Far more impossible than traveling to the sun. Far more impossible. Especially if we think we're good enough to approach the living and true God, to seek his presence just as it is to approach the Son. It's an impossible journey to come to God in our own works. Absolutely impossible. Our greatest deeds are but filthy rags. But the Lord offers all help. The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ to all who will look to him and to him alone. He is the way to approach this holy God. So as we think about this, we're going to, we're going to be looking at uh, Jude 6, about the angels. About the angels. And we may think, well, what have the angels got to teach us about this approaching to God? They have much to teach us. They have much to teach us. They teach us what is needed to be in the presence of God. So Jude, we're going to read from verses 1 to 7 of Jude. Let us hear God's holy and infallible word. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, 
I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Again, verse 6 is our text, which reads, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. May the Lord bless his holy word. This letter written by Jude, and Jude is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. It is told here in this opening part of the letter. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, James was also another brother of Jesus Christ. They were in the same family. They shared the same mother, Mary. It is a, it is a, a sobering letter. It's not a, a typical letter uh, that anyone might write. It, it's a very serious situation that has arisen in the churches. Jude is not writing to just one church. He's writing to many churches. And this serious situation was warned about earlier in, in Second Peter. That false teachers would come in among the people. Uh, Paul warns about this in Acts chapter 20. That there would come grievous wolves. That there's this serious situation that Jude sees the need to deal with. Now Jude can see this. Uh, but many others cannot see this. Uh, we see uh, Jude begins with certain very wonderful, warm truths. The first two verses talk about what they really share in common to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Verse 2, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And, and then in verse 3, Jude gives what he wants to write about, what his heart's desire is to write about. I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, what we share together. That's what Jude wanted to write about here. But he was compelled to deal with the very serious matter that had arisen at the time. And verse 4 tells us what that serious matter is. Certain men, certain men, we're not told who the men are, have crept in unnoticed, it says, unnoticed. Not unnoticed to Jude, but unnoticed in the churches at that time. And he calls on them to contend for the faith, once for all delivered unto the saints, to defend it, 
and to even suffer for it. In telling him of this very serious situation, the threat that it poses, Jude wants to persuade them of the threat by pointing out truths that they know. The first truth that they know here is in verse 5. I want to remind you. And look what he says then. Though you once knew this. Though you once knew this. And we'll often do this, won't we? We'll remind people of what they already know. To persuade them of the danger of something. And that's what he does. The example number one of the danger of the situation were those who were rescued from physical bondage in Egypt. And verse 5 talks about that not all of them who were part of that group taken out of the land of Egypt, saved through, you could say, the Passover, were themselves truly saved. Many of them were destroyed. And then he gives a second example on top of that. Verse 6, which we'll be looking at here this morning. The angels. The angels. And we might be thinking, what can that possibly teach us? We're not angels. We're not. But it does have something very profound to teach us about what it means to be in the presence of Almighty God. As image bearers of God. What it means to be, to remain in the presence of Almighty God. Our God does not change. Our God cannot change. Our God cannot deny himself. He is the unchangeable one. As he said to Moses in Exodus 3, 14, I am who I am. And what this text is really saying is, these impressive beings, these angels, As incredible as they are, they still needed to be holy. And because they were not, they no longer could remain in the presence of Almighty God. The first point we're going to look at here this morning is this holy perfection maintained. Holy perfection maintained. The angels of all the created beings... Are the most glorious, incredible created beings. You'd struggle to find any other created beings, any other creature that comes close to the angels. Verse 6 once again. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain. Who did not keep their proper domain. Now many mere creatures such as us. What would we do if we saw an angel? If an angel came into this building here this morning, how would many react if they saw an angel? Now, I hope this doesn't describe anyone here, but many would no doubt fall down and worship them, wouldn't they? Now, this is even seen in the scriptures. The apostle John, even, in the book of Revelation, when he sees an angel, what does he do? He falls down himself. And worships and begins to worship. Now he's, he's told not to. In Revelation 22 verses 8 and 9. Now I John saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw. I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel. Who showed me these things. Then he said to me. See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant. 
and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Angels are not to be worshipped, but they are mighty beings. How were they created? And in what manner were they created? They were created, weren't they? Holy. All that was created by God was good. Holy just as Adam and Eve were created holy and just and upright. But sadly sought many inventions. They went their own way. They too had fellowship with God. They could come into the presence of Almighty God. For they were not objects of wrath. There were ones God delighted in. That necessary holiness is what we can learn about the angels, isn't it? That holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Will God set aside this standard, this perfect standard for anyone? And if we thought of anyone, any creature that we might in our minds think, who would God set aside his standard for? But maybe the angels we might think. But not even for the angels. Not even for the angels. We may, ourselves as mere human beings, we may set aside standards. Um, It may be dependent on who's in front of us. How we behave. How, how, you know, if we have a person who's our favorite person or something like that. Or perhaps how strict we are. Um, I know that, and people will readily admit this, you know, when you're a grandparent... You're not nearly as strict with your grandchildren as you're going to be with your, with your own children. Now, there's good reasons for that. There's good reasons for that. Or somebody's a guest in your home. You're more likely to be relaxed around them. Or maybe the opposite. Maybe you'll be more tense because there's a visitor in the home. We change often depending on who's in front of us. And our standards can come and they can go. Maybe our children will even say sometimes when we do so, my mommy and daddy never let me do that. There's a different relationship, isn't there? The relationship has changed. Or if somebody has left the house, the relationship has changed. But, dear friends, God's standard of holiness, of who he is, never changes and never can change. There's no possibility of it ever changing, ever. It, is ne- it, it was like this before the foundation of the world. It will be like this in the new heavens and the new earth for all eternity. And we will forever depend on him. We exist because of him. Your children, when they leave the home, will no longer depend upon you. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But we will never ourselves outgrow our dependence on our Heavenly Father. He is our creator and our sustainer. We are to live by his rules, his standards, his standards of perfect, holy righteousness, perfect conduct. That's the standard. So what happens to these angels, these angels, these impressive beings that do not do what they're made to do? It says in verse 6, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain. They didn't do what they were made to do. They leave the presence of God, don't they? 
They did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, their first home. They leave. This word here can be translated proper domain, but it can also be translated different ways. Their own principality, one translation puts it. Literally, it's this. The angels did not keep, and it's a continuous idea here, their first. Their first. Then the question is, first what? This word in Greek is used in the beginning of John 1.1. In the beginning. Same word. In arche. Their first. But it can also mean ruler. It can also mean authority. It can also mean sphere of influence. Some area in which they exercise sovereignty or ruler. And what kind? What what is the rule that the angels were to do? The rule of heaven, isn't it? The rule of heaven. Holiness. Holiness. And to rule and exercise holy authority in which they were given. Now, before we look any further, the angels, aren't we too given responsibilities before God? All of us are. It may be small responsibilities, big responsibilities, but we're all given a sphere of influence. We're all given a responsibility before God. Um, Remember the Lord's Prayer when it says in Matthew 6, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. That is the rule of heaven. And what rule do you have? Perhaps... You are a father or a mother. And that is your area or sphere of influence. And fathers and mothers in the home are to govern, to lead in a God-honoring way. The holiness is to be the standard. Now we do fall short. We all fall short, don't we? But the standard remains the same. Holiness. The rule of heaven. To be the standard In our workplace. It's to be the standard for education. It's to be the standard for all things before God. It's even to be the standard in our government. They're to be ministers of God. As it tells us in Romans chapter 13. So holy perfection maintained. Only perfection will enter in. To the presence of almighty God. And when it is not that holy perfection anymore. It is driven out. So we've looked at holy perfection maintained. Number two now, holy purity maintained. Holy purity maintained. Once sin comes in, once holiness and its rules are abandoned, what happens? There is a departure from the blessed presence of Almighty God. Again, verse 6 says this, but left their own abode. There is a departure There is a leaving that is taking place here. Their first home. The place that they were made to be. They were made to be holy. Even for the angels. This was a reality. Their first home. Their sin drove them from the Lord. And the Lord in his purity drove them from him. It's not just that they left because they didn't want to be around anymore. His purity 
will not allow any impurity in. And this is why the presence of God is so wonderful. This is why the presence of God is so glorious. And this is why when we, when we leave this earth as believers in Jesus Christ, we will be in awe for all eternity. This is why as believers in Jesus Christ, we will never grow tired of worshipping him. Because there is no tarnish in his glory. Not a single tiny hair's breadth of tarnishing taking place. The splendor, the radiance of the king of kings will not change. Corruption will not be let in. There will be no preferential treatment given to the angels. So then when we think of that, this is what happens to the angels, these impressive beings. How shall we escape ourselves if we neglect our own salvation? It tells us in Hebrews 2, verses 1 to 4, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression of disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And the point is here, if the word proves truthful and steadfast, and there's various examples of what happens to, to all sorts of creatures who drift from the holiness without which no man will see the Lord. How shall we escape if we neglect these things? If we drift away. Do not think, dear friends, that your works stand a chance in the presence of Almighty God. You have a greater chance to cycle through space and survive a trip to the middle of the sun than you do traveling to be in the presence of God in your own works. The sun, as wonderful as it is, and as consuming as it is, and as powerful as it is, is maintained by the all-powerful one, the God of heaven and earth. There would be no sun without God. There would be no radiance of the sun without God. The impurities will be destroyed and driven from his presence. It, it talks about our greatest deeds in, uh, in Isaiah 64 verse 6. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So our greatest deeds. Our most noble things that we have done. Our best five minutes. Our best five seconds. Our best performance. Even if that was the measurement of which we were bringing before God. It would not be enough. It would be seen as filthy rags before him. So then. And, and this is the question we must have. Because it's an amazing thing to come into the presence of God. It has become such a casual thing in western Christianity. We're coming into the presence of greatness. There was no casualness in the Old Testament. When anybody came into the Holy of Holies. 
And what did they need to come into the presence of God, just as they needed to come into the Holy of Holies? New clothes. And no, I'm not talking about expensive clothes or suits or anything else like that. I'm talking about holy, righteous robes. Radiant, pure and righteous clothes. Spiritual clothes. Being clothed in that righteousness. So that when you come before the presence of God, you're not naked before him. And how can you be clothed? By faith in Jesus Christ. Because if you come to him, he will wash you clean. And he will clothe you. And he will bring you and present you faultless before the throne of grace. But if you do not come to him, just like these angels, you will be driven from his presence and face the wrath of Almighty God for all eternity. It is a fearful thing. Our God is a consuming fire. Why this attitude of God to what is not pure? Well, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, says this, But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. This is the staff. This is the, the, how this kingdom is ruled. It is ruled by righteousness. And it says in verse 9 of Hebrews 1, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Loved righteousness. And God never changes in his love for righteousness. And he never changes in his hatred for lawlessness, for iniquity, for rebellion. God is love. And there's no moment in eternity. There's no second for which God ceases to be perfect love. God could never, ever be more loving. He cannot be anything else but loving. I am who I am. He is the self-existent one. He is the unmovable one. He is the one upon whom all depends. Every single thing you see around you. Every good thing in your life. Every single breath that is entering in your lungs right now. It is because of God. And though we may be more enticed to complain to him. Have we thought about all the good things he's given us. Even this very morning. The food on our table. The car that has brought us here this morning. And he has provided that and so much more. He has provided a way to know him. He's provided a way into his presence. The presence of which these angels, when they fell, were driven away from. God loves what is good and he hates what is evil. We cannot come unless we've been humbled. We cannot come in a self-righteous way. We must see our sin because God, it said of God here in Psalm 5, 5, the boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You hate all workers of iniquity. But dear friends, if you're here this morning and you're not boastful, your sin weighs you down. It grieves you. 
you have a humble heart. You may struggle with your salvation from time to time, knowing if you're truly a believer. But if you have a humble heart, which wishes to turn, yes, you would like to be more like Christ than where you are right now. But wishes to be more like Christ and to turn more and more from sin, then hear what the psalmist says in Psalm 51 verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. So as we're talking about the perfection, the purity of the presence of God, and we think... I can't attain to that. Praise God if you can see that here this morning. Because many don't. But there's a way. And it's through Jesus Christ. And that is, if you're in Jesus Christ, you will have this broken spirit, a contrite heart. And you will not be despised by God. Coming in such a way. And it's only through the spirit of God that you can have this contrite heart. This broken spirit. This humble spirit. And you will be blessed. Jesus said this in Psalm, or in, in Matthew chapter 5 verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Do you see him dear friend? Do you see him here this morning? In all his splendor. In all his glory. In all his wonder. That he is perfect. And the only way. And he's pure. And the only way to come into that purity. It's through Jesus Christ. He will wash you clean. He will present you faultless if you trust in him. Holy perfection maintained. Holy purity maintained. Now number three, holy power maintained. Holy power maintained. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Now, he's not just in control of the big things. He's in control of everything. Single aspect of life. Nothing exists without him. Nothing takes him by surprise. Our God never learns anything because he has nothing to learn. He already knows the end from the beginning. He is to be obeyed by all creatures. Not just men and angels. But all creation obeys him. In Matthew 8 verses 26 and 27 speaking of Jesus. And he said to them. Why are you fearful? O you of little faith. And he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was great calm. So the men marveled saying. Who can this be? That even the winds and the sea obey him. Now how many people around the world are trying to control the weather. And all this kind of thing. And they can't. They can't. But. The winds and the waves obey God. He controls the seas and the clouds. It tells us in Job 38 verses 9 to 11. Or who shut up, shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb. When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. When I fixed my limit for it. And set bars and doors when I said, this far you may come and no further. This far you may come and no further. And here your proud waves must stop. 
what power our God has. But isn't it an amazing thing that the wind, the waves, everything obeys his voice, the stars, the moon, everything obeys his voice. But when, it, when the infant God says to finite man, come, what will he often say? No. It's a heartbreaking reality when a sinner rejects the Lord. Every single particle of dust bows to his will. But we think we can rebel against him. What power our God has that even the impressive angels do not stand a chance. They rebelled. Now, what were they seeking to do? They were seeking really their own sovereignty. They were seeking to be free, weren't they? That's what sin is. I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going to make my own rules. I'm going to do my own thing. But what happens? Does it bring freedom for these angels when they rebelled against them? Verse 6 once again. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness. Everlasting chains under darkness. Sin often promises freedom, doesn't it? It promises great freedom, great joy, and what does it really bring? It brings chains. It brings darkness. It really brings misery, even in this world. It brings slavery. It brings ruin. Dear friends, there's no escape from God. Adam and Eve, when they fell into sin, and they heard the voice of God. What did they do? They hid. When Jonah, fearful, didn't want to go to Nineveh. What did he do? He fled from the presence of the Lord. And we may scoff at that and think, why would he do such a thing? But do we do such things at times? Do we, in certain areas of our life, pretend as if God cannot see certain areas of sin? He sees all. He knows all. He knows all that we're doing. He is all powerful. Sin makes us all very foolish. It makes us do irrational, absurd things that don't really make much sense. That freedom that sin promises, it only brings bondage. In the original language, it's very interesting. There's a contrast between the angel's did not keep their, their proper domain. They did not keep their sphere of influence. Basically their, their holiness. But now because they weren't kept there. They're now kept in chains. The word, it's the same Greek word. But it's translated different ways here. Reserved in everlasting chains. Could also be translated. He has kept in everlasting chains. It's a play on words. If you will not be kept In the presence of God. Trusting God. Then you yourself. Just like these angels. Will also be kept. In chains. In chains. Our final point. Is holy peace. Maintained. Holy. Peace. Maintained. So we've looked at holy perfection. Holy purity, holy power, holy peace now. 
maintained. One of the reasons heaven is so wonderful is that sin and sinners are kept out. Have you ever heard the the expression, one bad apple? If you have one bad apple and a bunch of other other apples, it contaminates everything. One sin would ruin heaven. But by nature, I and you, we're all by nature bad apples, aren't we? By nature. By nature. So we need help. We need help in order to go, to be in the presence of the Lord. And to have that peace. That peace. We need to be saved by grace. Washed by Christ. And there is holy peace with God. There is holy peace with God. And we also have to think as we look through this. God never sent a savior for the angels. Are we not grateful? God never sent any of the angels who fell. They are under everlasting chains. There's no hope for them. But if you're here this morning outside of Jesus Christ, there is hope for you if you come this day. If you seek his peace this day. Holy peace. That's what being close to the Lord brings. A calmness. A joy. Heavenly peace. And this should be evident among God's people as well. Not just yes between us and God. But that peace will also be evident between us and other believers. The closer we are as people to God. The closer we will be to each other. Sin is war against God. It's a declaration of war against God. Verse 6, once again, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. There is judgment coming for them in this war. This war also, sin is war also against the image of God. It says in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The fruit of being in the presence of God is true and lasting peace. The angels had that peace. They lost it. They were were driven from it. In the presence of God, there's peace and there's no need to, to fear, is there? And when you're in the presence of God, to be in the presence of God, sin has been dealt with. Now, sin hasn't been dealt with for the angels, so they're driven from him. But in order for any to come into his presence, that sin must be dealt with. Perfect peace will be on this earth one day. One day. This great day spoken about in our text. Under darkness... For the judgment of the great day. A day of judgment for those in darkness. For those who are under chains of darkness. For those who are slaves of sin still when the Lord returns. For all those at war with God. There will be a crushing of the enemy. And they will have to admit defeat. 
the crushing of the enemy, dear friends, it brings peace. If you remember back during World War II, what brought peace? It was the defeat of a bitter enemy, the Nazi regime. The defeat of that enemy brought peace across Europe. Now, that peace was for a period of time and other wars break out. But true and lasting peace, eternal peace, comes through the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Says in 2 Peter 3 verses 13 and 14, Nevertheless we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. At the end of Jude, it tells us how we will have peace with God, perfect peace, and that perfect peace maintained for all eternity. Verse 24 of Jude, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It is only through Christ Jesus, for he is our peace, who hath made both one. And broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He is lasting peace. The angels who have fallen here. And are shown as example. That Jude is showing. Their hope is. There's no hope for them. But there is hope for us. Through Jesus Christ. Who is that prince of peace. And this morning dear friends. Do you have that peace? Do you have him? Do you have that necessary. That essential holiness. To come into the presence of God. So that this morning. You can be in the special presence of the Lord. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Because there's two possibilities here this morning. You're either part of the victorious side. In this war that's taken place for thousands of years. Or you're on the side that will be defeated and judged at the end of time. Are you clothed in holiness? Or are you by nature still under chains of darkness? You see, we can learn a lot from the angels. This is why Jude is telling them. They're impressive beings. But even these impressive beings, there's essential holiness. Or otherwise they will not remain in the presence of God. We by faith in Jesus Christ, are kept in his grip, in the presence of God, by his work. But you must trust him. You must trust him. You must flee from your sin and trust him with your salvation. Trust him with your soul so that when you do come to the presence of Almighty God, in that special presence that Christ, as it says in verse 24, he's going to present you Faultless. Nothing to worry about in Jesus Christ. And you have everything to look forward to in Jesus Christ. Amen.